Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, are you thankful for His grace? Praise God. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your heart. Lift your voices to heaven. Thank God for the grace of God that saved you, delivered you, changed you. Hallelujah. Made you who you are right now in Christ. Oh, but the grace of God, had it not been for your grace, Lord, where would we be? We are so thankful for that amazing grace. Hallelujah. Well, how many are glad you're in church this morning? What a time we've had. How many have a testimony? How many have a testimony because of the grace of God? I mean, we could just probably one after another have you come up here and we could fill probably the whole year up with testimony after testimony of God's grace, His goodness, His mercy. Man, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would be so in trouble. But I'll tell you, we got a reason to shout and be happy and be excited. You know, He's still alive and His grace is still flowing. Man, and His mercy is still flowing. It's new every morning. Aren't you thankful for that? Are you still here? Are you gone home? <laughs> Are you thinking about your food? Or <laughs> Hallelujah. One more time, put both hands up. One without wrath, the Bible says. Another without doubt. And just thank God that you are free from wrath. You are free from judgment. You have been set free. You are totally forgiven. Hallelujah. And he loves you and there's no doubt about it. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So glad that you've joined us online. So glad everybody's here on this Resurrection Sunday. I tell you, I am so excited. This is probably one of my favorite Sundays to preach because I love this message so much. There's power in the message of the gospel. Can you say amen? I want you, if you would, to open up. Uh, we're only going to go to a couple scriptures today, but I want to use this as my text, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. Do you see what's being said here? And if Christ be not raised, 
Your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep and have perished in Christ. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now in Christ, or now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the grace of God. We are who we are right now because of your grace. We have experienced such a dramatic testimony because of the resurrection of your son Jesus. And that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is ongoing and lives and dwells in our being. We celebrate that resurrection today. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve a God that leaves us hanging in hopeless situations, but you bring hope. And we have hope. And there is hope because of an empty tomb. We thank you, Father. You're good to us. You feed us. You build up our faith. And we know in the days to come that we'll be aware that your power and your resurrection power lives mighty on the inside of every one of us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 400 silent years. Anybody heard of the 400 silent years? From Malachi all the way to Matthew, there was no prophecy. There were no visitations from God. There were no angels that showed up. There were no prophets that would stand up and speak to the water and cause it to be dry. There would be no Elijahs, no Elishas, no no voice of God that was present among the people for 400 years. Could you imagine going through your lifetime searching and seeking God and looking for hope and looking for answers and crying out to God, but yet no hope? But after 400 years all the way to Matthew, with all of this silence and all of the dark years, an angel finally appears to a man by the name of Zacharias and, and appears to him and tells him about his son, which would be named John. John would be called the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. John would be a preacher that would preach repentance, not like you and I know of as repentance where we hang out in the streets and tell people to change their lives and clean themselves up. That may be how you were approached with the message of repentance, but it was a turning from religion, a turning from legalism, a turning from Judaism to Christianity, preparing the way for one that was to come. And that was the first of many uh, instances where you see a supernatural appearing of something heavenly. And they waited 400 years for something to 
fulfill prophecies about a Messiah that would come. And I'm not preaching a Christmas message, but it's hard to get away from the virgin birth because this Christianity, this thing that we celebrate and this person named Jesus that not only came to earth but lived a sinless, spotless life and voluntarily went to a place of execution for you and I and rose himself up. He came into this world as a miracle, born of a virgin, and we see all of these instances that took place. And here we have an introduction to hope. That's what I want to talk to you about today the hope of an empty tomb. Because when Jesus showed up, not just when he showed up, but when the forerunner, John the Baptist, showed up, he didn't bring a message of condemnation. He brought a message which turned people to hope, you see, because there was no hope under the law. Because even under the law, man found themselves guilty because there was no one that could live an upright, perfect life and be accepted before God. So God knew, and he had an ace of spades, if I can put it that way, in his back pocket. His name is Jesus. This John the Baptist came, a wild man. He came preaching and preparing the way for this man called Jesus. And not only, man, I'll tell you, the introduction of earth to Jesus when he finally came in to his own and he grew up in the stature of God and the wisdom of God. The very first miracle that he did was a miracle of provision. He turned water into wine and it was a super accelerated, speedy miracle. That's good news for some of you that might be waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something in your life. Well, guess what? If you put your faith on this, you can know that God can move speedily for you. God can move quickly for you. I know we heard sometimes that God doesn't answer right away, but he's just in time. Well, sometimes his timing is fast. Aren't you thankful for that? And if you believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Jesus became man's only hope. When there was no wine, he provided. When they were in despair, he delivered them. When they were hungry, he fed them. When they were sick, he healed them. When they were condemned, he justified them. He showed them mercy. When they were unloved, he loved them. Come on. When they were dead, he raised them. The hope that Jesus brought to mankind. And then he said, you, we're, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave this place. The news of his departure really crippled their heart, troubled their heart. But let me tell you something. When Jesus came, he brought such a dramatic hope that they realized, where else would we go? We can't live without you. We need your presence. We want to walk with you. In that day when he came to the earth, he was the man to be with. He was the person to hang out with because everywhere he went, he fixed 
problems. He solved. He was the solution. He was the problem fixer. Hallelujah. He delivered man. He made them feel appreciated. He brought value to their name. We heard about testimonies today. Well, this was the beginning of making testimonies because that's what Jesus did. He always gave a testimony to somebody. Stand with me if you would, not literally, but just let me bring you to a scene. Let me bring you to a place in scripture where the woman at the uh, with the issue of blood, she had this issue of blood for how long? 12 years. If you could just be in this situation in the scripture where she's hopeless, she has no hope. She's went to Physicians, the Bible said, not just one, but many. You know, that's expensive. The Bible said she spent all that she had, but Jesus became her only hope. When she heard of Jesus, when she just heard about Jesus, what did she do? She pressed into the crowd and she said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Why did she say that? Because she heard something about a man that makes testimonies. She heard something about a man that brings hope. And where hope was, faith showed up too. And she pressed in, and she pressed in, and she touched the hem of his garment. You know the story. If you could just picture it today, everybody's around Jesus, but she touches Jesus with her faith and virtue leaves his body and she's made whole. There's another place in scripture where a lady had been sick and crippled for 12 years. Jesus said she was a daughter of Abraham. You'll see this in Luke chapter 12. You don't have to turn there, but she found hope in Jesus. Can you imagine being crippled with something for 12 years? Maybe you've had something going on in your life for more than a year, more than two years, more than three years. Don't you think that there's no hope? Don't you get to the place where you're in despair and think you have to live with it? She was crippled for 12 years. She was bowed over. All she seen was the dirt. All she seen was her feet. All she could see was the ground. That's not the prettiest sight. Sunsets are beautiful. Trees and plants and people are beautiful. But when all you can see is the curse, all you can see is the ground, all you can feel is the pain, and then you hear about Jesus and he shows up and he takes what... 12 years puts you in bondage with and delivers you from that. I'll tell you, Jesus comes. He brings hope. You want to be around that. And so the news of his departure was lost to the disciples, right? We remember in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Can I preach a little bit today? And you know, he said this to him in John 14, 1. He's talking about his departure from earth. Can you imagine that? You're around him. You're seeing water turn to wine. You're seeing 5,000 families fed with a little boy's lunch. And he says, I'm going to leave. But the first thing he said was, don't let your heart be troubled. So many people are troubled today because they don't, in their flesh, they can't touch Jesus. You know, Thomas had to touch his hand. He had to put his hand in the nail-scarred hands to believe it. But Jesus said, you're more blessed if you don't have to touch it, if you don't have to see it. You're more blessed being in faith, right? In other words, we're more blessed right now, come on somebody, because we believe and we don't touch. 
But I'm telling you, if you believe and you don't have to touch it with your physical senses, you will eventually touch the hem of his garment, hallelujah, by faith, and the power of God will minister to you. Amen? Can you say amen? But Jesus said, he goes, it's expedient that I go away. In other words, it's necessary that I leave. In other words, I have to do this. I know you don't want me to leave, but I have to depart. He said, but I won't leave you without comfort. In other words, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to send you another. Amen. In other words, I'm going to send someone that's just like me. He'll do the same things that I did. He, I can imagine him talking to his disciples saying, hey, hey there, Peter, remember when I healed your mother-in-law? I, I'm sending a comforter. He'll do the same thing. When I'm not there, the Holy Spirit will be there. Hey, 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 remember when I raised your brother up, Lazarus, from the dead? I'm going to send you another comforter who can raise up anybody at any time for you in your situation. Situation, I'm not going to leave you without comfort. I'm not going to leave you without hope. Can you imagine, though, even after saying that, we know a story about Peter. You know, Peter was kind of quick on the draw. He was quick with his emotions. He would talk before he would think sometimes. And here comes all of these leaders, and they're coming to take Jesus away. This would be the beginning of Jesus you know, going towards his execution. Here's all these people that are coming to arrest Jesus, and Peter says, you can't take Jesus away. He pulls out his sword, and he goes up to an officer of the law named Malchus, and he takes his sword and cuts his ear off. Why? Because he had such an emotional attachment to being with Jesus, he didn't want to see him depart from him. Yet the same Peter denies him. See, it's, it's not always beneficial to have to feel, to have to touch, to have to be around. What's more beneficial is for you to believe by faith because it's faith that touches God. Now, God is so powerful that Jesus, he took that ear and he put it back on Malchus's head and Peter should have been arrested and put in jail, but because of God's power, which is a restoration power, there was no evidence that Peter did anything wrong. And you know, he has the same hope for you. He'll take all your mistakes and all the things you've done wrong and he'll put the ear back on so that there's no convicting evidence against you that the devil could bring up before the high court and say, see, they're a bad person. Aren't you glad that he's redeemed you, he's forgiven you, and he's taken away the evidence of all your past? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the kind of hope that Jesus brought when he walked on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. And so from there, Jesus goes to what we call the place of substitution. Are you with me? We see all of his miracles, but that was just part of his assignment. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He had an assignment to show, to show the people who the Father is. He healed the sick. He opened up blind eyes. He raised the dead. He unstopped deaf ears. All of these things, he fed the hungry. He did that to reveal the Father's love, to reveal the Father's character, to reveal who God was and who God wanted to be. When Jesus came, that was God coming in flesh saying, I am your hope. Hallelujah. 
Jesus is our only hope. Can you say amen? And so at this place of substitution, I like, I'm going to quote kind of what you said in your post the other day. If I can preach it, I'll borrow it, but I'll give you the credit for it. This was from Marquise. He talked about the three most important words in the word crucifix. It's the word fix. This is the place where he intended to go willingly because he knew if he went there, he would fix and he would solve all of mankind's issue. It was at the cross where the big fix took place. It was at the cross where he solved all of sin's problems. Can can you say amen? This is the place of the big fix. This is the place of redemption. This is the place of once and for all. This is the place of it is finished. This is the place of debt cancellation. This is the place of problem solved. This is the place of triumph and complete victory. This is the place where he said, I'll take the curse so you'll never have to be sick again. This is a place where the crown of thorns were placed upon his head and the blood came streaming down. And at that place, he took upon poverty This is the place where the bruises were upon his body and the beatings took place and the scourging took place and the shame and all of the hatred that sin could possibly bring about that you may have participated came upon him. He participated in that willingly because he wanted to be a substitute so that you would never have to be in that place yourself. This is the place of the fix. A crucifix is a place where the execution of the person takes place by nailing them to a cross or nailing them to a tree and tying string around them. And that's what happened with Jesus because Galatians 3.13 says that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. This is where it took place, on the cross. He walked up that lonely dusty trail on the way to Golgotha, knowing that he would have to go through such anguish, knowing, come on, somebody, are you here today? Are you following what I'm saying? I know this isn't resurrection, but we're going to get there. But the resurrection means nothing if this didn't take place. He had to die first. He knew he had to die. He was in that garden and he was sweating drops of blood. He knew what he was going to have to go through. He knew he was going to have to go to hell. He knew he was going to have to take all of the shame. Imagine the times when you felt guilty. Imagine the times when you felt shame for something you did wrong. Imagine that multiplied over and over. Not just you, but all the shame, all the guilt of everybody in the entire human race that is and was and is to come. Had Jesus not done that, we would still have to carry that. But he carried and had it dumped upon him. Shame and guilt and pain and every problem upon himself. He knew willingly he'd do that. All of the addictions, all of the problems of mankind. He did it at the cross because that was the only place where he could fix what was wrong. Colossians 2 10 through 15 says he nailed certain things to the cross. It says, and you are complete in him, verse 10, which is the head of all principality, the head of all power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made uh, without hands in putting off the body and the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
Look at this. This is powerful. You are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together. Come on, somebody. That's a good place to shout right there. Having forgiven you of all your trespasses. Where did this take place? On the cross. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. You know, there's a lot of things that went against you. There's a lot of things that still go against you in the natural. But Jesus knew you'd have things in life that would go against you. So he said, I'll go ahead and I'll nail it to the cross. I fixed everything else there, so I might as well fix that too. There's nothing that comes against you that wasn't nailed to that cross. Hallelujah. You may be facing a hardship right now. You may be facing something difficult right now. feel like everything is against you. But Jesus said, I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to see it that way. See what's against you nailed to the cross. I've made a way where you triumph every time. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Come on, someone give a good shout unto God. At that place at the cross, there was triumph even when it didn't look like triumph. But then we come to Matthew's gospel and we come to a very uh, familiar passage. We preach this just about every Easter. It's being preached all over the world today, in fact, talking about the end of the Sabbath. And this was a place where they recognized that the tomb was empty. And for many people, when they go to the burying place, maybe of a family member, to a lot of people they realize that's the end. And so what this signifies to a lot of people, including those that followed Jesus, was this is the end of what brought us such great hope. This is the end of healing. This is the end of friendship. This is the end of love. This is the end of provision as we knew it. We spent 400 years and we only got 30-something years with this man that brought us hope. We don't want to go through another 400 years. We want hope. And they had to have thought, did he not say that he send us comfort? Did he not say that he's coming for us again? That had to bring them some hope. But yet, they still went to the tomb ready to prepare his burial place expecting there to be a body there, right? And yet, with surprise, there was an angel that had showed up. Let's just read it here in verse 1. It says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Hallelujah. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, 
and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto him, and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Say that with me. He is not here. He is risen. As he said. And they said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now, side note, the very first two preachers of the resurrection of Jesus were two women. So if you got a hard time with women preachers, then you might as well tear this page right out of the Bible because they were commanded to go and tell. And they went and told. Now, they had to have come to the tomb with an expectation for him to be there. And so they probably thought, well, someone must have stole his body. Someone must have took it. Someone must have took everything about it. But there was an angel there. And there was an earthquake, and there were signs, and there were wonders, and there was a, there was a stone that was rolled back. And they went in, and they realized he wasn't there. Glory to God. Now, to a lot of people, they would say that's the end. But this, in the eyes of God, and according to Scripture, is where all things become new. This is the place of quickening. This is the place of the new birth. This is the place where dead things become life. This is the place where cancer turns to healing. This is the place, come on somebody, this is the place where there's justification. This is the event that took place that validates everything that we preach. This is why we can believe in a God to fix every situation that we face even though they're tangible problems and they're visible to us and they look bigger than us and it looks like there's no way. This is why we can have hope. Not because of just the cross and the crucifix, but there was an empty tomb. No man took this body. No man could roll back this tomb. It took an angel and supernatural power from heaven to come down and roll back that tomb and that stone so that the body of Jesus could be resurrected and I'm here to tell you it's an empty tomb still today there's other tombs of every, other leaders and other people that are worshipped around the world of other religions and those tombs still have bones in them from bodies of people that are worshipped but you go back to the tomb of Jesus and it remains empty today and that brings you hope come on somebody and that builds faith and if that didn't happen then everything we preach is in vain this is the very pinnacle of what we believe everything pivots off of this belief everything stems from this belief and if you can't get excited about that then you might ought to get saved because when you get saved that's what happens when you get saved you have a radical transformation you're buried in his baptism. With, you're buried in death. In other words, you die with him. 
He was executed at that place called the cross. Your life was executed as well. You say, what life? The life of a sinner. The life of a drug addict. The life of, uh, of someone that would chase around things looking for love and, and would fi- fall short and have shame all the days of their life. That person was executed. In other words, Jesus said, I'll execute myself in your stead so you never have to carry that guilt and shame and I'll provide a grace that flows from that place that not only forgives you but restores you and gives back to you. Come on. And maybe you didn't have the same kind of restoration as the one next to you. I don't know what you dealt with or what you went through, but let me tell you something. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All were sinners. All were separated from God. You want to know something else that took place on the cross? That was where Jesus hung and experienced the darkest hour of his life because God turned his back on sin and he was separated from the Father just like you were before you were saved. Sin separated you from God. There was no relationship with God. There was no connection to the power. There was no connection to a Father that would love you. There was no connection to love. There was no connection to deliverance. And so Jesus said, I'll be disconnected so you'll never have to be disconnected another day in your life. You have a connection with God today because Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God couldn't look at sin and he was sin personified so that God could look at you and say, I love you. Apart from anything bad or good you've done, I love you. And that's why you ought to be able to look at the most unlovable person and say, I love you too. Because if God could love someone like me, then I certainly could love someone like you and reciprocate that love back. (laughs) Oh, man, that's that's the good news. That's one of the most powerful things that happened. And Jesus, I, I think that was the most intense moment when he realized I'm going to have to spend a moment in my life apart from God I'm going to have to spend a time, a period of time I've walked with God it was because of God the Father that I was able to express him feed 5,000 it was because of God that I was able to raise the dead and now I'm going to be empty apart from God and it's going to be dark and the earth is going to shake because the God and the power of God that's in me and the virtue and the grace that I've experienced even in my own life. Could you imagine Jesus, the grace that he experienced just walking with the Father? He knew he was going to be separated from the Father. That was the only way he could connect you to him. That's the place of exchange. Now, the good news is he didn't stay separated. The tomb's empty. He rose from the dead. Yes, we're merged together in that baptism of death, and we've been executed as well because he represented us. But as well, when he rose from the dead, so did you. When did that happen exactly? The moment you received his grace, received Jesus into your heart, you became born a brand new person. You see, Jesus was the first fruits of many. If he didn't raise up, then you'd still be dead in your sins. 
If he didn't raise up, you'd still be separated from God. Value that connection. I said value that connection with God because it was paid for by the death of his son, the shedding of that blood, and the resurrection of his body and his faith that raised him up. Boy, that's powerful. I said that's powerful. Know this, that whatever looks like the end in your life, God knows how to kick the end out of it and make it a beginning. God specializes in making what you seem as though is the end for you. He specializes in turning that away so dramatically and giving you a beginning to the point in your life where you forget about all the loss that you caused. In other words, there's restoration for some of you today. I said there's restoration for some of you today because he lives. Don't look at your life and say, I should be further ahead, but I've made so many mistakes. God will impress you with his grace and put you on a new race. Hallelujah. And put you on a new path to the place where his goodness will dramatically erase the memory of all the wrong choices that took you the wrong way. So know that I have a plan for you. Know that I have a way for you. And if you'll just receive my love, I'll restore you back to the place and better than that. Hallelujah. I know there's been loss. I know there's been hurt. But I took that for you so you can excel in the destiny that I have for your path, says the Lord. I don't know who that was for, but I'll tell you what. God knows how to give you a brand new beginning. Even if you're born again and you've caused a turn from the grace and from the plan. Even if you're saved, sometimes you can walk out of the lane that he's prepared for you. But there's mercy for you. Just step right back into the love of God and I'll show you, says the Lord, I'll show you a path of prosperity. I'll show you a path of peace. And I'll show you a place that will bring such an amazing grace that you won't ever want to look back ever again in your life. And the future for you is bright, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me close with this verse. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. This sums up everything that we've preached here this morning. Are you glad you're here? Boy, this is some good stuff. The word who here is talking about Jesus. So you could say it like this. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. You could even say this. Jesus was crucified for our shortcomings, our sins, our offenses. But yet, notice what it says. And he was raised again for our justification. Now, if I could just close with this illustration, let's say that you're living in a foreign country. And one day, you happened to break a major rule in that country. You didn't know about the rules, but you broke it. And you appeal to the king or the president or whoever's in charge. You make your appeals and you make your cry for mercy. And he says to you, a rule is a rule. You ever heard that before? Did you hear that growing up? A rule is a rule. I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, I can't bend that rule for you. And 
If I do, what will others say about integrity? However, imagine him saying this to you. He says, if you can find a substitute to take your punishment, three months in jail, I'll allow it. (laughs) Boy, that would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? By God's grace, you find a substitute. You find someone to take your place. He goes to prison on your behalf. You don't see him for some time. Days go by. Weeks go by. Months go by. And now, how or when will you know that that sentence has fully been served? How are you ever going to know that that sentence has ever been served? Well, you will know that you're justified, and you'll know that that sentence has been served when you know that he served the time and when you know that he's no longer there. When will you be able to rest easy regarding the crime? Are you following me? It's when you see your substitute walking free again. Just like Jesus, he became a substitute that said, I'll take the punishment of the crime. And he walked free from the prison of that tomb. And because it's empty, that's proof. That's certification. (laughs) Certification? That's your receipt. In other words, this receipt has proof that that's been purchased. And that's what that scripture says. Because he was risen, you have a receipt that says you're justified. When you see him out of prison, you're going to know that that sentence has fully been served. You're going to know that you're justified. You're going to know that no one can bring a charge against you, right? You're going to know that that old crime can never come back and haunt you. You're going to know that you, no longer will you ever have to be afraid of the king or be afraid of the law that came against you. No, because somebody served that sentence for you. Jesus, your substitute, paid the debt for you. He paid the price for you. Today, that tomb remains empty. He is not there. He is not there. He is not there. For he has risen just as he said. His resurrection and his empty tomb will forever be an assurance and a remembrance that we are fully justified. You are fully justified. I don't know if that means anything to you. But I'm justified. I can live that way. I'm I'm fearless of any kind of hammer coming down from the law or God saying I'll never be good enough or I've never lived good enough. My justification doesn't come by my performance. It came by his performance and his death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are justified. Does that give you a sense of faith and boldness and assurance? Could you put your hands to heaven just one time and thank God? Thank God for that empty tomb. Hallelujah. You are so, so, so good to us. Hallelujah. 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 Just love on him right now. We love you, Lord. Our hope is in an empty tomb. 
Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Hallelujah. That's our hope for today. We're so grateful for the testimony that we have because of what you've done. In Jesus' name, glory. Come on, just lift your voice up right now. Can we spend a little bit of time right now? Just It's a little bit early. Just, just thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Glory to God. We can dance, we can jump, we can shout, we can have excitement and joy and peace and rest knowing we're justified. <laughs> Your resurrection has justified us, cleaned us, made us righteous. It's our receipt. <laughs> Glory to God that says we are free in Jesus' name. Are you glad you're free today? I said, are you glad you're free?